It's Monday, January 14th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we'll be looking specifically at Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25. And so today, as we look through the book of Acts, and Acts specifically at Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25, we're looking at enduring faith through persecution. And so let's read together, starting in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution, that being the execution of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were being scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was someone great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Oh, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their spirits on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying of hands on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone from whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Oh, beloved, nothing can thwart the almighty plan of our great God. Death, famine, persecution, poverty, fame, prosperity, our sin, nothing can stop the sovereign working of our great God. In Acts 1-8, Jesus had told the apostles that they would be witnesses first in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. But look again at Acts chapter 8, verses 1. Stephen had been brutally stoned for his faith in Jesus. Saul had approved of the execution. The execution of Stephen began a great period of persecution so that 
Don't miss Acts 8.1. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. <laughs> this is the sovereign working plan of God. He had given out his, his game plan, his, his map, his mission plan. First, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria. Oh, by the blood of our brother Stephen, by the persecution of our brother Stephen, by the execution of our brother Stephen, what looked like man had meant for evil, what looked like the adversary was winning, was actually used in the sovereign hand of God to spread Christ's followers to Judea and Samaria. Just when the high priest Sanhedrin and Saul thought they had won, the precious unfolding plan of God was being advanced. Oh, beloved, this passage is precious to us as Christ followers and to those who are trusting in a day when every tribe, tongue, and nation will come to Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can stop the mission of our great God. That's why Acts chapter 8 verse 8 is not perplexing on the heels of a brutal murder of one of our brothers. What? Acts chapter 8 says there was much joy in that city. You see, joy comes in the morning because saints in Christ always die with purpose. And our blood always waters our future faith and always waters future faith in others. Oh, beloved, this ministry of lifeline to the fatherless, the orphan, the vulnerable child, the birth family, and families is not in vain as long as it's indelibly connected to the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And this gives us great joy and this gives us great courage. I remember several years ago uh, at Lifeline, we had, uh, we had a specific ministry that we wanted to partner with. And I remember calling this ministry over and over and over again just for them to tell me that they were not looking to partner with any other ministries. Well, a decade later, this ministry is seeking us out and seeking to go on a tour and to, to do many things in partnership with our ministry. Oh, tribulation and persecution will come. And that's not to say that it was in tribulation or persecution that we couldn't partner. Oh, but we must persevere. But even on a greater sense, when we experience true tribulation and true persecution, we must persevere. The Lord has called us to persevere, to continue to, to, to go towards his calling. We must bear witness. Oh, Jesus says in Luke 21 verses 12 through 13, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. And this, oh, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. And so I want us to see four encouraging thoughts about the persecution that we will face. Oh, mark it down, beloved. We will face persecution. We will be persecuted because of our strong belief in Christ. We will be persecuted if our lives are truly surrendered to nothing else but Christ Jesus. And so four encouraging thoughts about that persecution that we will face. Number one, God always uses our persecution to serve the mission. We already saw that the persecution of Stephen spread the gospel to Judea and Samaria. But look ahead to Acts 11, verse 19. This is what the, the physician Luke says in Acts eleven nineteen. He says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as, listen, Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Then we see in Antioch that the Stoics and the Greeks come to saving faith. 
Stephen's blood paved the way for the complete spread of the gospel and was the embers on which the fire of the gospel spread along the path laid out by Jesus in Acts 1.8. In his, uh, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, John Piper says this about comfort. He says, comfort and ease and affluence and prosperity and safety and freedom often cause a tremendous inertia in the church. Inertia is the tendency of something that is standing still to stay standing still and of something moving to keep moving. The very things that we think would produce person, personnel and energy and creative investment of time and money in the cause of Christ and his kingdom instead produce again and again the exact opposite. Oh, comfort brings weakness, apathy, lethargy, self-centeredness, preoccupation with security. Oh, beloved, our God is gracious and kind to allow tribulation and to allow persecution and to allow hardship to fuel the mission. But the second encouraging thought about the persecution that we will face is number two, honor will be given when we take a bold stand for Christ. Acts 8-2, there was honor for Stephen. He was lamented and properly buried. The disciples didn't blame Stephen, but they honored him. We must be willing to take a stand, even when it appears as though the whole world, and many times even the church, is against us. If we are standing up for the proclamation of the gospel, then we must be bold. Honor will come to those who stand for the spread of the gospel. Oh, so brothers and sisters, do not shrink back, but be bold. You may never know the honor that you receive, but one day before the crown of glory, before the king of glory, you will receive honor for standing up for the gospel in the name of Christ. And this brings us to the third encouraging thought about the persecution that we will face. Our boldness, number three, and witness can be used to change the heart of our accusers. Our boldness and witness can be used to change the heart of our accusers. Acts 8.3 says that Saul was ravaging the church. He was dragging out our brothers and sisters and having them placed into prison. Oh, but Paul's day was coming in Acts 9 when he would see the grace, glory, and gospel of Christ Jesus. You have to believe that as Paul was blinded on the way to Damascus, that he had to be reminded of the faith of those whom he had persecuted. He had to be thinking of the words that Stephen echoed out before God to, to, to see God and to cry out with a loud voice and, and to, to have and ask the Lord Jesus to receive his spirit. You have to believe that Paul had the, the, on, on, on his mind those he had dragged into prison. His conversion had been watered by the blood of those for whom he had persecuted. And beloved, believe this and mark it down. No one is beyond the saving grace of King Jesus. No one is beyond the saving grace of Christ Jesus. And if you don't believe it, do what I do, did this morning and look in the mirror. Because the person you see in the mirror is one of those that proved that no one is beyond the saving grace of King Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 through 45, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And this brings us to the fourth encouraging thought about the persecution that we will face. Number four, the word of God, which we proclaim, brings ultimate joy. Huh. Look at the harvest of souls that the spread of Christ's disciples brings. The, the word was being proclaimed. The lame were healed. Unclean spirits were cast out. And the harvest of souls were reaped for the kingdom. Huh. And there was much 
much joy. Oh, please don't miss these important truths of Acts 8, 1 through 8. When we commit our lives fully to the gospel of Christ Jesus and the bold proclamation of that gospel, it will find success. We may plant, others may harvest, and so others may reap. But you can take it to the bank. The spread of the kingdom of God is unstoppable. So don't you want to be a part of this? Don't you want joy like this? Let us all recommit today that no matter the cost, our lives will be spent making the glorious gospel known. And as a ministry, Lifeline, may our sacrifices and our trials be fuel for the spread of the gospel to the orphan, the vulnerable family, and the nations. This is the urgency of our mission to manifest the gospel to vulnerable children. It's not just another physical adoption, but it's another child in the kingdom of God. And this this leads us to the rest of our passage. We must be desperately dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit to straighten crooked hearts and cause people to look away from us to Jesus because he is the one alone who can save. Oh, beloved, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us sensitivity to the lost and that ultimately those that we minister to would not be attracted to our physical reality, but would be attracted to our king. And so we see in verse 9 that we meet Simon the magician. He had a reputation. He had a following. He was known as great, and they called him great because of his magic arts. But then Philip comes to town with the power of the Holy Spirit, and the people, and even Simon, are drawn in. You see, most people were drawn to the Holy Spirit's work, and Simon wanted the Holy Spirit's power. Our passage leaves us with two uh, distinct warnings and lessons that we see from the life of Simon. Number one, oh, and, and scary and dreadfully, there can be a faith and there can be a belief that doesn't save. Oh, someone can say that they believe and yet have a belief that doesn't save draws us to what I believe is one of the scariest verses in the entire Bible, James chapter 2, verses 18 through 19. And James says, but someone will say, you have works, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you your, my faith by my works. Oh, then listen to this. You believe that God is one, verse 19? You do well. Even the demons, even the demons believe and they shudder. Oh, this is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. There can be faith and belief that doesn't save. There can be faith and belief and still be in opposition to God. That faith and belief is one that is in the gifts and not in the giver. It's in the belief that wants power, glory, and creation, but not the creator. You can believe that God is God and who he says he is and not submit your life. Belief is what comes before submission. We must submit our lives to Christ. Paul recognized this reality when he says to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, he says, but that now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved if, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. There is a vain belief and we have to be careful. We have to guard against it both in our own lives, but both in those who we proclaim this gospel to. Simon's faith was a false faith that was dead and it was empty. But this leads us to the second warning from this passage as we see Simon interact with Philip and Peter and John. The object of our faith, number two, determines the authenticity. So the object of our faith determines the authenticity. 
You see, the object of Simon's original faith was the powerful signs and the wonders performed by Philip. He had been upstaged. He was doing his latest magic show. People were wowed. They were calling him great. They were, they were calling out to Simon and, and telling him what a, what a great man he was and that he must be from God. And then Philip comes to town. And what does Philip do? He draws away Simon's crowd. Philip was using the signs and wonders to point to the glory of Jesus, but Simon was fixated by the power because he wanted the crowd back. He wanted the glory back. The glory of Jesus is found in that he is the son of God, crucified for sinners, risen in power, and reigning over humble and holy people. Simon had misplaced the object of his faith. Simon was amazed by the Holy Spirit and his supernatural power, but amazement is not saving faith. It says even in verse 13, Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. But listen to this, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. He was amazed. And then we see that Philip says to Simon in verse 22, that repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven to you. Simon was amazed by the Holy Spirit and his supernatural power. Oh, but he had misplaced. He was missing a heartfelt understanding of his sin and a repentance that turns to Jesus, broken and humble and trusting in him alone for forgiveness and healing. You see, beloved, when we have that type of brokenness, before our sin, when we have that type of brokenness before our God, when we have that type of submission to Jesus, we're not necessarily interested in how to receive the power. We're broken before a holy, powerful Savior. Oh, but beloved, our God is gracious and so very good because he will work all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He will use our trials and suffering to bring about a harvest and to the spread of his fame and his gospel. And so as we work to see the spread of that gospel, let's rely on the spirit, his work and power alive in us. But let's also consistently point others to a faith that is not based solely in amazement, but a faith that humbly confesses sin. Beloved, we don't need Jesus and we don't need the gospel until we come face to face with our ultimate need. We don't understand our need until we understand our inadequacy. But once we know that we have a need and we follow this Savior, we can't help but to speak and proclaim his name. So this week, we are praying for U.S. foster care. We're praying for the churches involved in foster care, specifically those that we're working with at Lifeline in Alabama and South Carolina and Kansas. We're asking that these partnerships will expand into more than just recruitment of families, but holistic support of foster families and birth families. We're praying for the financial provision for our foster care program. We're, we're asking the Lord to continue to provide for our needs as our program grows through church partnerships, grants, and individual donors. We're praying specifically for grant requests that are outstanding. We're praying for our partnerships with uh, the state human services and social services. And we're praying that the Lord would deepen and strengthen these relationships and grow the level of trust between all parties. We're praying for the upcoming trainings that we are doing for DHR supervisors and for the state and to allow more opportunities for us to train their staff. We're praying for the children in care of Lifeline families, for their salvation, 
for, he, from, for healing from trauma they've endured, for God to use their stories for his glory, for quick reunification when families are safe and supported, for adopted families, for those who, whose where parental rights have been terminated. We're praying for birth families, for their salvation, for them to know their value and identity does not have to be based on their past, for them to be motivated to accomplish what they need to in order to be reunified with their children. We're praying for current licensed foster families, for wisdom, grace, strength, and patience as they daily minister to children in need. We're praying for several families who are currently in process with DHR who've been waiting for a long time to be licensed. We're praying for foster families in process. Pray that they will complete the necessary requirements in order to become licensed so that they can start accepting placements. We're praying for more families to respond to the specific needs of older children, sibling groups, and medical special needs to the upcoming classes at Valleydale, Homewood, Church of Christ, even Evangel, Briarwood Presbyterian, and Radiant Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We're praying for upcoming continuing education opportunities, for the Lord to bring many families and CPS workers to these to be equipped to care well for the children in their homes. We're praying for more churches and individuals to holistically be a part of the foster care and to consider hosting family visitation rooms, babysitting, and volunteer opportunities. We're praying for open staff positions at Lifeline in our Alabama office specifically. The Lord would fill these positions with people who have the unique giftings to meet the specific needs of the role. And we're praying for the completion of the Fostering Hope uh, package and, and, and curriculum to equip churches to care holistically for foster care. We're praying specifically for our foster care team throughout these states and for the number of families attending our upcoming orientations. And we praise the Lord for recent requests to lead trainings in schools and preschools on the needs of children in foster care. And we praise the Lord for recent financial gifts from local church partners to help support our foster care ministry. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would embolden, empower, and equip the local church to care for these half a million children in U.S. foster care. We ask that you would give new strategies, new visions, new, new opportunities for the church to become engaged. And Lord, I pray that through the church's engagement that the gospel would be preached to the children, to their families, and to the system. Lord, we know that government is not the way you appointed for children to be cared for in our country, but you appointed it to be the local church. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our blind eyes, that you would drop the scales from our eyes to be able to see the opportunities that are before us to show your gospel in the way that we care, in the way that we love, and in the way that we surrender our dreams, our ideals, in order to care for children in foster care. God, I thank you for the team that you've assembled here at Lifeline. I pray that you would empower them, embolden them, equip them, and add to them as you see fit. And Lord, as well, we just ask that you would absolutely multiply the work that's being done through this Fostering Hope equipping curriculum through local churches throughout our country so that more churches will be able to holistically care for foster care. Lord, we know that you care so much more about these children than we ever could. So go before us. May your spirit give us the, the words to utter, the power to do it in, and the, the vision in which to accomplish it. Lord, we love you and we ask all these things in your precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel for you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.